I was so broken. All I could think about on a day-to-day basis was six o'clock the next night so I could pour a glass of wine. This week on Opening Up, we chat to psychotherapist and burnout solution coach Siobhan Murray. She talks about coping with stress and how we can live our best lives. Siobhan Murray, you're so welcome to Opening Up. My other Siobhan, how have you been? I know your greetings from sunny Spain. You're in Spain. I'm doing what I call um, a, a sort of a, a a different take on what used to be runaway recovery. Um, runaway recovery is what I think we've all done for years, is we work really, really hard. Excuse me. <clears throat> we work really hard. And then we take these two-week holidays. Um, and we, we set these incredible expectations of these two-week holidays to be fabulous, Um and, you know, that we all get on with our families and it's going to be Disney-esque. Um, and the reality with with runaway recovery is it's really stressful to prepare for. Um, it's really stressful when we're with confined with our families in, in this very intense. Um, I have teenagers and my mother comes with me, so I'm not kind of sandwiched. Um, and then you get back off this runaway recovery and you're straight back into all the stresses that you've never dealt with because you put all the expectations on the runaway recovery. So I have been working very much this year on rituals and habits, daily rituals and habits, so that this wasn't, I didn't put all my eggs in one basket. I didn't have this massive expectation of this holiday. It was just a break. Now, Siobhan, you're a burnout solution expert. You're a psychotherapist, a life coach. Is there anything else you want to add to what you do? You've you, you've probably got about six other letters after your name. An, an expert in self-care, and I've done your course, and it's incredible. But your journey started off, um, I know I'm sure you had lots of qualifications before um, this, and you had a very high-powered job where you were hitting the bottle Tell us about this. This was years and years and years ago because I really want to kind of open up today on opening up about how we can change our relationship with substances and how we can move forward and how we can get through it. And I'm really interested to kind of delve into the whole sober, curious movement, which I'm noticing everywhere lately is the buzzword. Uh, I just love it. I love it because I think it takes the pressure off that I have a drink problem or I need to give up drink or there's something wrong with me. Um, and, and I think also culturally in Ireland, um, you know, if you're not having a drink, sure, there's something wrong with you. You're either mm-hmm. pregnant or you're on antibiotics. They're the two, you know. Or, yeah. uh, whereas, whereas I'm seeing younger and younger people, like people in their early 20s, who are now being part of the whole sober curious. And, but, you know, if I look back at my own story, I would have started drinking very young, late teens. Um, and it became for me my, I suppose, escape isn't, isn't so much, it, it gave me that Dutch courage when I went out because what mm-hmm. I've learned over the years of being a non-drinker is I'm an introvert. And I ended up working in incredibly extroverted careers. Yes, you had a fascinating first career where you were in this really high octane job in the music business. Ooh. So I worked in the music industry in Ireland. I worked for one of the biggest concert promoters, an amazing man. But it was his organization was really small, even though he was running these incredible festivals. So you'd be in the office one minute and then you'd be 
working at the gig the next minute. And, you know, it was full on. It was 24-7. And it was very social. So there was a lot of drink involved. And then I moved over to London and I worked for the incredible artist, Sir Elton John. I worked for Goldie, a drum and bass artist, um, who interestingly, both of those are clean and serene. And and were they party on? Were they were they party on back in the day? So far as you felt, you had to join the party every night. Well, when I worked for Elton, he wasn't. He was well on his way to recovery. But the industry, the industry in itself, would have been very much so. When I worked for Goldie, Goldie was still very much in the throes of party, party on. And um, and you do you you you're young. You're in your twenties, and even back then, there wasn't. If you were the non-drinker. You wouldn't, it wasn't sustainable to continue within the industry. You know, people were going, oh, I need, I'm not drinking on a Friday night. I'm getting up to do Helen back on a Saturday morning. It was none of that. But, you know, whereas I see that now, it's yeah, amazing. Even, yeah, and even the likes of Roz Purcell, I've interviewed her numerous times and I'm saying, do you really just have cups of tea? And she says, yes, I love my hiking and I'm not much of a drinker. And, you know, I suppose my vintage can't believe currently I'm not drinking. I was at a family party the other night and it was so I felt so smug the next morning waking up. It was my party in my house. There's 25 people there. I was clearing away all the drinks. Of course, I was tempted during the night, but I stick to the non-alcoholics drinks, beers all night, which were which I thought were fabulous. And I was kind of soaking up the atmosphere for once. I've been drinking since I was 14, 15, 16 as well, like that. So I worked it out about 30 years or so, is it? Yeah, about 30. So, I mean, we're all indoctrinated, I think, into this sort of semi-cult that we have to do it. So this kind of vintage that were there the other night at my house were all kind of, you know, my family type. So they were all sort of maybe in their 40s, 50s, um, some young cousins. And the, the actual response was, that's fantastic, you're not drinking well done. I thought it would be more of a you know, what for? But there was no question. But I noticed when you look at all the advertising lately, it says um, just there's a zero zero particular beer that I cycled past earlier. And it says, you know, something along the tagline, um, zero zero, um, don't need a reason or something like that. It's it's almost saying, you know, you don't need, oh, you don't have to ask why the person is not drinking anymore. But before it was a given, as you said, that there was something or that you have a problem or that you're preggers or something like that. So now it's becoming more normalized. But, but go go back to Siobhan, your um, journey when you first realized that you had to knock it on the head. Well, I remember <clears throat> the lads who are, um, there's 18 months between my two and one is nearly 17. Um, and one is 15 and a half. And I, at the time I was working corporately, I left the music industry and I was working corporately for McDonald's. And I I remember going out and it was uh, Halloween. Uh, I think Charlie, the youngest, would have been about six months old. So they were mm-hmm. six months and two. And I will never forget it. I went out on that Friday night and I peaked too soon. And to put into context, and I speak openly about this, Siobhan, not because I'm going, oh, sure, wasn't I great? I could still get up and hold a job down. But I think this is the thing is that I wasn't falling around missing work. Um, I was still holding down a good job. I was getting two kids to crash. Um, I was a single mum. I still am. Um, I, I had a mortgage. You know, like on paper, it looked like, I'm sure she's just, that's just what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so broken 
I was putting one foot in front of the other continually. Um, all I could think about on a day-to-day -day basis was six o'clock the next night so I could pour a glass of wine because my drinking became seven days a week. So, and because I had the young kids, it wasn't so much going out drinking. It was that six o'clock, it was like the Angela's. Yes. For those, for those that don't know the Angela's. Yes. It's six o'clock. <laughs> Gives us permission. Yeah, it's wine o'clock. And then, you know, Sober Diaries, Claire Pooley, who wrote that fantastic book, if you're interested in quit lit books, it's a great one, The Sober Diaries. Um, you know, she talks about the wine witch coming coming at her at five, starting at five, cry, crying in her ear. Would you like a drink? Have a drink. You need a drink. You need, you know, to relax. You know, to make you feel better. You know, it's good. Was that the type of thing, Siobhan? Oh, absolutely. And you couple that with um, the bewitching hour of toddlers who turn into, you know, little demons. Yeah. And it's funny, I, I look at people now with their, their toddlers and, and I look at them with such fondness now going, you know, their little digestive systems have worked so hard all day. It's get their little digestive systems get to five or six o'clock. Their little bodies are wrought. They're like little demons. That's exactly what's happened to us. Yeah. We've been going all day, but it's not our necessarily our digestive systems but it's our mental, it's our cognitive reasoning, it's our decision-making ability, it's our, our ability to uh, turn the dial down when something irritates us, which we might have been great at in the morning, because we're not waking up in the morning, by and large, going, oh, Jesus, I need a glass of wine now. But by six o'clock, we are, because we, we don't have anything left in reserve. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I went out that Halloween peaked too soon, got up the next day, had a babysitter for the kids, got up the next day and I had to do what I had to do every Saturday, which was go to another park with my children. And I thought, I can't do this. I actually, I can't, I cannot go to another playground. I cannot go to another park. This is horrific. This is not fair on, on the boys because it was just me. So I decided that was, would have been the first of November. I decided, right, I'm just not going to drink for the month didn't say I'm giving up but mm -hmm. I think this is an important bit I think our language our long our language around allowing giving ourselves permission to not drink because as soon as we say I'm giving up uh, I'm not going to drink we go straight into a state of deprivation and then all we right. can do is what we don't have right very um, and you know then we automatically go well how am I going to do the party how am I going to host the party with 25 people coming? Because I need a drink for that. Yeah, that's what so, I was actually fearing this week. I was saying, God, you know, um, this is a, a challenge. But I suppose I'm doing it in my mind for health benefits at the moment. But definitely, like everybody in the pandemic, I've been drinking too much. I think lots of people in the pandemic, the drinking at home thing is 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 a disaster situation because you just don't, it's not like you're going up to buy a drink and, you know, have it and come back down and sit down and then you're pouring too much and then you're not knowing. And I think this is really something that women have struggled with in the pandemic. I, I'm hearing sort of, you know, colloquially or, you know, through my peers that a lot of them, you know, I think it sort of soothes the anxiety if the kids are going crazy. Also, then obviously the social thing. I mean, years ago, if I think about why I started drinking when I was 14, when I didn't really start properly drinking until I was about 16, was because it masked the anxiety of the, that mid, that moment you walk into a bar when everyone's looking at you and you want to be the cool one. And that was indoctrinated in our society to the point where it's almost like 
a given if you're Irish you drink and now I'm delighted that the, the narrative is changing and the whole sober curious movement is coming but you know at the height of it Siobhan were you drinking a lot at home? Oh I would uh, by the time I stopped I drank seven days a week and I would have drunk two bottles of wine a night and they were my nights in um yeah because at that point my nights out would have been fairly few and far between because having the lads and then you have to get a babysitter so they would that would have been you know monday tuesday wednesday thursday you know yeah. they were normal nights what i perceived as normal nights that was finish work at 5 30 jump in the car go get the kids from the fresh um do you know get back feed them get everything sorted and i would have finished drinking by 9 p.m right i would so have the two battles done and then and then get up and repeat so and, and i would get up because you have two kids so you still have to get up so to all to all intents purposes you know people would have said no siobhan doesn't have a drink problem I'm sure she's you know i was tottering around corporately dressed in six inch heels with you know one toddler in my hand and the other one on my hip looking as i say to all intents purposes like i had it all going and it couldn't have been further from the truth. And what was in your mind? Like, why do you think was the, what was the drink masking? Was it the overwhelm? So I think you know I had spent years, and I this there's there's a part of this, and I was thinking about you before this morning before we were coming on, and there's there's another part of this um, that I think is really interesting. I've spent more time not navel gazing, but getting to understand who I am. So definitely for me as an introvert, it masked that. It allowed me to be able to be in those social situations where I felt like I could be like everybody else. I'd look at everyone else and they were all having great crack and I wasn't having great crack. So I thought, well, I better drink because that'll make me have great crack. It yeah. still actually didn't make me have great crack. I was just now a drunk, still out of place person. But we've all been there. We're all there a lot of the time, I think. I think I've spent years like that and not even admitted it. But knowing that I'm an introvert, and by introvert, and you know me, I am not shy. An no, introvert, you're not at all. Not shy. I just don't like big crowds of people. Yeah. I don't want to go to a party where I don't know fifty people because I'm not the social butterfly flitting from person to person. I will have nabbed some poor unsuspecting person who could be 20 or 70 but who I have something <laughs> in common with and I will be chewing the ear off them in a corner <laughs> really happy they might yeah. be I will be but you know I, I'm very comfortable when I know my surroundings um I'm very comfortable I mean I I stand on stages and speak in front of thousands of people you do and why is that why are you okay with that I wonder because I'm talking I mean, I'm talking because, again, introverts aren't shy, but it's the bit afterwards or the bit before where I yes. do social networking. And that's the bit where I now I understand who I am. I will give myself, OK, you just need to speak to three people. So maybe it's the event organizer. Maybe it's go and speak to somebody completely that you don't know. Um, and, and a third person, somebody you've met before. And then I can go, OK, I'm going now. And I always go. Do you know, the issue with these things in, you know, with the networking, I notice even in my industry, the networking is always surrounded by wine. The networking bit 
now for the wine and the networking. But what if you don't drink? And what if you don't want to drink? And that's what I was thinking. Um, I, I'm going to be giving up drink for a while just because I want to get fit and healthy. But um, and because I've been drinking too much. But how do you go into those scenarios where you uh, associate them with drink? And how do you flip it in your mind? Because it there's been 30 years of it. So for me. Let's look at last weekend. You had that one event, that 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 party at your house, 25 people. So there was a event that you had to navigate. Um, that's all you had to do. You didn't have to go into that event and say, I'm never drinking again. Oh, my God, what's Christmas Day going to be like? We're in the middle of July. We don't need to be thinking about what Christmas Day is going to be like. Mm-hmm. Or all you have to do is go, I just have to do this. So I'm going to own this. I'm not drinking tonight because I've got the kids tomorrow. And even if you've put a plan in place for what you're going to do with the kids tomorrow on the Saturday morning, so that because once you make that commitment to those little people, they won't let you forget. Yes. So do you want to do whatever it is, whether it's take them to the zoo or a park or swimming? Do you want to do it with a hangover? Exactly. And that's, I think, for a lot of mums I've been speaking to, they're just sick of it. And I do think there's this whole reward system where we think we're working, we're busy mums. Now it's our reward. So we're going to have the um, vino. So I think flipping it and switching it is for me working great. I mean, I think obviously addictive. Per- oh, yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you as well, Siobhan. Is there such a thing as an addictive personality or is that a made up thing in society that we can actually say, oh, that's why we're like that or that's why we're like this? Oh, I think now we could do we could do a whole day's podcast <laughs> on, on addiction. So here's the really interesting thing, Siobhan. So there there was me drinking two bottles of Chardonnay a day. Oh, Chardonnay. Uh, Chardonnay's <laughs> nice. <laughs> on, mind you, I now drink a particular brand of non-alcoholic wine um and i drink um i don't drink chardonnay because that's too close to what i used to drink ah. so what's I, your I wine of choice i mean i suppose is it the the non-alcoholic wine of choice um mcwiggins do oh it's the nice apps they do a rosé they do a white and they do a red Fabulous. And I love the non-alcoholic beers. They taste just like beer. And I know people say if you're trying to give up drinks for a while, maybe don't drink non-alcoholic something. But I, I think it's great for placebo personally. It's, you know, now when I first started, like we're going back 15 years, there was very few non-alcoholics. So you really mm. were, you, you know, you were the fizzy pop or a sparkling, sparkling water. And um, now there is, you know, there's bars that do the Virgin Mary bar. There's bars that do actual just dedicated non-alcoholic um there is weddings people are now having weddings and insisting that there are non-alcoholic beverages for their guests so that you don't have those people going oh clink clink with the sparkling water and it the, the turnaround on being sober curious and allowing people to live without alcohol is it's I think it is going to become the way forward. Um, and I would love to see the next generation. But what I was going to say was... Oh, yes. Like, you know, we've so much to talk about. I feel like I haven't seen you in years. <laughs> we could um, With addiction, when I gave up drinking, uh, or when I stopped drinking, um, I didn't go to um, a, a conventional support group. I just stopped. So 
you know, and I was drinking heavily for a long time by the time I stopped. So some people would say, well, why didn't you go to a, a organized support group? And it's not that I had anything against them. I suppose I just, the narrative in my head was, well, I'm not an alcoholic. I just need to give up. So I didn't allow myself to get caught up in that. Mm. Here's a really interesting thing. So therefore, if I could stop just like that, which I did, alcohol was never my primary addiction. Sugar, sugar is my primary addiction. Oh, right. So you did a cross addiction. No. Well, it was the sugar from alcohol allowed me to get my sugar hit um, because I would have always had a sweet tooth, but I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have eaten the equivalent chocolate amount for the alcohol. You know, if you were to put, mm. I was drinking two bottles of wine. I wasn't drinking, I wasn't eating two pounds of chocolate. But when I gave up drinking, that's where I really saw my sugar addiction. So, and I always, I always describe this. It's nearly, if you're not going to address the reason why you overdrink or overeat or smoke, I describe it as like your emotions living deep down inside you. You right. think we talk about gut health, but we talk about the gut brain as well. Yeah. So if we're if we've got stuff going on, if we're getting anxious, irritable, annoyed, frustrated, um, we know that maybe we need to leave a relationship or a friendship or a job, and we've got all of that going on in our gut, not just our brain. Well, then the habit of drinking to push down those emotions or eating to push down or smoking to push down becomes much more prevalent. So until, so if we take one away, so you take drinking away, well, all I did was just allow myself to push all the stuff that was still going on down with sugar. Oh my God, it's so interesting. And then you changed career and became a psychotherapist Obviously, you had a deep interest in everything to do with, you know, the brain and, you know, emotions and all that kind of thing. So what led, like, at what point did you switch career and was it tough? No, I switched career. You know, I I do think, and I talk about this with clients, is that we are all born with a map of the world. And I know this sounds a little bit woo-woo. I love the woo-woo stuff, (laughs) Shiv. Yeah, I always have to go, okay, what's my audience here? What's my audience? Because I, you know... I'm as a single mom, I, I'm very grounded, I'm very real, but I do love a little bit of the woo-woo stuff. And you know, I do I really do believe we are all born with a map of the world. And my map of the world was, you know, there were some very dark days in my late teens, early twenties. Um, you know, I lived in spots in London. There was things that I saw and and experiences I had that were very, very dark. And if I hadn't experienced them. I don't know if I would necessarily be on the road or where I am in my life, in my map of the world. You know, even being a single parent all my my life, it's it's not, don't get the violins out, but it's got its challenges, you know, like you you don't have that A and other to go, oh, I want, I want, my head's going to explode. But I, I think, you know, I've just finished another year of college I've just finished doing um, a professional diploma in the Royal College of Surgeons on positive health. And Brilliant. It is, oh, my God. Well done, you. Thank you. Congratulations. But, I, you know, this is the girl that worked in the music industry and stood on stages at Glastonbury. 
um, to really understanding why, why is it important for us to exercise, especially women? Um, you, why, why is it important for us to eat a Mediterranean diet? It's not about losing pounds, forget about that. It's what is it doing for our gut health and our brain health? Because if, if we're not looking after ourselves, if we're cramming self-care into mm-hmm. 45 minutes on a Saturday at a Pilates class and all the rest of the week, we are drinking too much, mm-hmm. shoving takeaway sandwiches into our bodies, thinking about going to the gym or for a walk or doing nothing, that for, like that's not minding yourself. No. And we had this conversation before. We, we think of self-care as going out, getting your nails done or your hair done. That's not self-care either. But, you know, I think what we make the mistake of is thinking that the relaxing glass of wine is self-care. And I think that's the mentality that might have to change, especially amongst people my age, because a lot of girls my age have never, ever addressed the way we drink. Um. And and you know what, I'm not preaching, but I'm just saying it's taken me 43 years to realize that I drink too much yeah. for my, you know. And so I think there's a lot of people who don't do self-care and think that by just masking whatever's going on with a, a vino at the end of a night that that's doing. I mean, you know, Baz Ashmawi, I love him. He quit drinking. He says he loves baths now, which I think is gas. You know, it's good to have something to do other than drinks. This is my thing is that I joke about that. I will never forget one of my lectures when I was training to be a psychotherapist. You know, she said, um, she was a lovely lecturer. And she said, you know, don't forget your self-care, have a bath and like candles. <laughs> I, and this is like, this is a good 10, 12 years ago. And I was like, dear God, I love the idea. But I get into the bath, I overheat, I'm sweating. One of the animals tries to get in. At the time, the kids were small. One of them would wake up. Two of them would try and get into the bath with me. It was, you know, so for me, self-care is not a bath, but for yeah. bath, it bath. And he has six kids, so I wonder, were they knocking the door down when he was in the bath? <laughs> not the older ones, anyway. So that's the whole point. Self-care is asking yourself the hard question, what do I need right now? Mm. And following through. Is it answer. right through, is it right, is it right now? Sorry, Sh- yeah. Siobhan, when you say, what do I need right now, just in this yeah. present moment, is that it, Siobhan? You see, this goes back to what we started when I was talking about runaway recovery versus rituals of recovery mm. or prevention. So if we can get into the habit of rituals, and again, we will call them habits, call them actions, call them whatever is going to make it comfortable for you to action them, is that if we get into the here and now, then we don't have to wait until Saturday for that 45-minute window of when we said we're going to do that Pilates, get our nails done, do whatever. Yeah, I, I have, I have a, a little acronym that I use called JAM. Lovely. Um, just a minute. So what can you do for just a minute, Siobhan? You can put the kettle on. Yes. You can do box breathing. You can shake your body like a lunatic. You can jump up and down. You can stand out in your back garden, whether it's lashing rain or the sun is shining. You can lock yourself in the bathroom. <laughs> yes, because this is the problem from the working from home thing. I think that's why loads of people, you know, 
felt out of their self-care because you didn't have that water cooler rant with the colleague. You didn't have to commute the walk from your house to the, like I used to cycle from my house to the train and then meditate on the train. So that was ultimately, that was exercise and meditation all in the commute time. So that's been taken away from, and it's still to this day been taken away from a lot of people because a lot of offices find it cheaper just to leave us all at home. So it is, and I mean, by the way, there's loads of positives to that as well. But the Just a Minute is a fantastic acronym. Yeah, I love just it. A minute. And the thing is, is that that doesn't mean then, you know, that's not giving people an excuse going, oh, well, I normally go to the gym for an hour. Now I only have to do a minute. No. Honestly, that's what no. <laughs> it is for when people are, are going, I don't have the time for self-care. Yes, you do, because you have a minute. And if we can add those minutes together, then we're not relying on Saturdays to become and you know that whole concept of oh yeah I do my self-care on Saturdays or I do a night class on a Tuesday that's great you know that's they're all added stuff but we need to get better at the habits the daily just like brushing your teeth those little moments that we give ourselves that we don't see as selfish so one of my boundaries that I have is at nine o'clock Anytime after nine o'clock, firstly, my phone goes on do not disturb by 9 p.m. So even if I am working a bit late, nobody can contact me at that point. But the boys and this I've done for a long time. The boys know don't ask me a, some, a question that I have to think about the answer. You know, can they have a sleepover? Can they have new runners? Whatever it is after 9 p.m. Because I've been up since six. My brain has been working all day. I'm done. There's nothing left in the tank. So mm. if I engaged with that conversation, chances are we would end up having a row because I'd be irritable. Teenagers are on a completely different time zone. You know, they're a different planet, but a different time zone. <laughs> but I also tell people in relationships, because more often than not, most people in relationships, 9 p.m. might be their time where they're going to sit down and have a conversation about something important, but there's nothing in the tank. So why would you do that to yourself? So if you even put that back into the whole not drinking or allowing yourself not to drink, if you're going to set yourself up for stressful situations, then it's far too easy to go, oh, I'm just so stressed. It was horrible. I hate my partner. And um, they just don't listen to me. I'm going to run down to the off license and get a bottle of wine. Why would you do that? Mm. So creating an environment where you go, do you know what? For the next while, why don't we see if on a Saturday or Sunday or maybe one day during the week, we can have half an hour, 45 minutes or an hour, go for a walk without kids. Um, and before midday, have a conversation about those big things. Yeah, yeah. And I find I say them at the wrong thing at the wrong times. I think I nearly do it on purpose to be annoying. <laughs> but you see, we, we do it. I used to do it. We do it in order to give ourselves permission to go, yeah, see, now I'm just going to have a drink. Yeah, unreal. And you know, that six o'clock time, um, so that was your ritual when you would crack open the bottle of wine. Did you do something different at that time in order to trick your brain at that moment when going forward, when you decided that's it, I'm done with my drinking? Uh, for the first month, Angela's six o'clock, but I would pour myself diet seven up into a wine glass. 
Right. Every single night. And interestingly, now, when I have a glass of non-alcoholic wine, I'm very Greek about it. I pour it into a tumbler. I would very, very rarely have a glass of non-alcoholic wine in a wine glass. Right. So, So when I was breaking the habit, I did it slowly. So I still use the wine glass. I just put something different in it. And now that I have, an, it, and it's not that often, um, I'll say that, I might have one, one, there's always a bottle in my head. So I might have once a week or twice a week. And um, now I, I wouldn't have it in the wine glass because I don't, that's too much of a similarity. So I have the non-alcoholic wine in the tumbler. That's so interesting. And you know what I'm loving about the whole Sober Curious movement? I listened to a podcast called um, Sober Curious by Ruby Warrington. And there's loads of um, uh, DJs around the world now having dance parties, alcohol free and like no drugs at them, no alcohol, which is funny because you know the way when you're younger, you learn dancing and you learn it. Like I, I did ballet dancing for 25 years and I adore all forms of dancing. Then when you get to a certain age, you associate dancing with getting locked or pissed or whatever. And that was never why we danced in the first place. So I'm really glad that these sober parties are actually, you know, I don't know if there's any in Ireland necessarily. It'd be great to find out. Um, but I think that's amazing. I think we we think we have to drink to have fun a lot of the time. And I do think it's a bit of a cult mentality that we've created, that's been created in society ever since, I suppose, the time of prohibition, you know, almost saying you can't do it. We weren't allowed to drink when, you're, when we were young, so we wanted to do it even more. And I think if we, if we look back at our relationship with alcohol, it started sort of to escape whatever it was back then. For me, it might have been to, you know, escape my own personality so I could become more confident, even though from the outside, I am an extrovert. But it was great because when you had the drink when you were 15 or 16, it made you even more um, sort of party, one of the party people, I guess. It made you more popular. I think what's really interesting is, you know, when I look back in my drinking days, if I was meeting you, uh, we were go- I was going to meet you in town. Before I'd even left the house, I would have had a bottle of wine getting ready. And let's say we were meeting on a pub on Grafton Street uh, at 8 p.m. I'd be in town by 7.30. And remember, I've already had a bottle of wine. Mm. I would stop at another pub en route to meet you and I would go in and quite happily sit at the bar and knock back another drink in order to give me that boost then I would go into the pub I was meeting you in you're sitting at a table and I can remember this so clearly my behaviors so I would walk in and I might give you a nod how are you I may walk up and go, do you want, what do you, are you drinking? Or I might just go straight up to the bar and get my drink. Then I would come to you and I would already be halfway through that glass of wine thinking I need to get another one. Right. Now, if I was to meet you in a pub, apart from the fact I'm not drinking the bottle beforehand, I'm definitely not going to a, a pub on the way. I would walk straight in. I would walk straight up to you. I would sit down. So here's, is, here's the funny thing my confidence and self-esteem all that i thought alcohol was giving me is now a thousand times better than it was when i was alcohol dependent 
It's so brilliant. And do you think there you, you think there's a movement? You've had a lot of your younger clients coming to you, a lot younger people wanting to change their relationship with alcohol. Do you think it's possible to change the relationship at a young age or whatever and maybe drink sociably? Or do you think if people have if, if people believe that they're drinking too much, are they too far down the line? Is it impossible to cut back? So here's the interesting thing. And this is, again, this is not science backed or, or you know, I don't have a large enough um, piece of research on this. I think, but what I'm seeing is, I think the younger cohort, it is easier for them to make that decision to go down the road of sober curious and then to become non-drinkers because they don't have as much in the bank of, well, how will I cope with, you know, insert all the different social activities that we have. Um, so it's easier they're, they're, it's easier for them to make those changes. What I see with my peers, my age group, um, is that, well, sure, I won't be any crack. Where, where, where will the crack be? Because mm-hmm. there is this bizarre ideal idea that if if I don't drink, then there's no crack. I'm no crack. There is no crack. I won't be seen as any crack. And that's very Irish. But do you think that, uh, say, our peer group can reduce easily or is it just quit? I've seen people do the reduce. Um, and I think and I think that's what I love about Sober Curious, Siobhan, is Sober Curious is not about making that hard and fast. That's it. I'm not drinking. I'm done. Yeah. Sober Curious. And if you look at it in, in what even the term, it's allowing you to go, OK, I'm having a party uh, next Friday. I'm not going to drink at that party. I'm going to see how I manage myself in that party. Uh, that's all I'm that's all I'm doing. Um, whether you have a drink the next day, the following week, whatever, it's you're not then getting into that mindset of I'm a failure. I said I was never going to drink again. I thought I'm falling off the wagon. There's something wrong with me. Um, you know, it's it, it's a gentler way of getting to a decision that maybe maybe the next event you go, well, actually, I really enjoyed not drinking at mm. my party. So this wedding I'm going to or this dinner I'm going to, actually, I'm not going to drink at that either. It's so interesting. When I was not drinking at that party I hosted, I had the best crack ever because the next day I remembered absolutely everything. And there was a slight element of smoke because I've never really gone to a party over the years and not not had a drink. So, you know, it is that thing of you can do it and to, to, to do it and to complete it and to own it, as we were talking about before, is fantastic for your for your mind. You feel kind of on a high off the back of it. Well, if you think, and and I can be I can be corrected if I'm wrong in this, but from any of the the books I've read, sugar is twenty times more addictive to cocaine. And if we give up sugar, and there's loads of of books on quitting sugar, and and when I talk about sugar, I'm not talking about fruit. We're talking about um you know processed man made sugar. Um, so if we decide to give our bodies the experience of living life with processed sugar um we don't walk around feeling sorry for ourselves going oh i can never have sugar again or uh, i'm no crack i'm never going to be able to have an easter egg (laughs) this is where's the crack gone i can't have an easter egg or you know um there'll be no there'll be no chocolates at christmas and 
we just you suddenly start to feel better and you suddenly go god are you actually i've because you get brain fog with with sugar you know you start to see all the positives well if we can have that same attitude with alcohol so that we're not getting into that how what, what am i going to do on christmas day what am i going to do in the birthday party uh, what, what how am i going to celebrate something with a glass of champagne if i can't have a glass of champagne i'm sure i'm just going to be no crack well you are you're still the same person yeah and i mean you know you are still the same person and all these years later do you ever look back shiv and say to yourself siobhan murray i wish i could have a glass of prosecco or sorry chardonnay was your drink <laughs> of choice no, nah, and it's funny. I was in one of the supermarkets over here, and my favorite uh, champagne was there. And I was looking at it. It was beef Clico. You'd oh, swear, yeah. I, you'd swear. I, 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 I mean, you were, you were hanging out with Elton John, so I mean, <laughs> I, I don't expect anything less. And I was looking at it, going, "Oh yeah, there it is." Well. It was 45 euro in the supermarket. Oh, that's quite cheap, know. that one, isn't it? Yeah, no, spraying is great. <laughs> and then I still looked at it and I went, that's 45 quid in my pocket. Yeah. And I bopped around the supermarket looking at other things. I There is not one part of me. And it's really interesting because, you know, I'm looking at my kids and they're at that age now where there's experimenting going on. And and I initially thought I would find it really difficult to to see and navigate that because of my own experience with alcohol. But I also have to be very cognizant of not projecting my stuff onto them. Um, and, they're, you know, they're, they're very aware that I don't drink and I'm very honest about why I don't drink. Um, but I love, you know, even on holidays, I still get up at six because I can. Yeah. And make the most of the day. <laughs> Siobhan is there any courses you're doing on Sober Curious I loved your course on self-care and I loved one little bit if I can just mention it if you want to stare into the candle stare into the candle <laughs> we're very hard on ourselves but your self-care course is great have you any more coming up and of course you are the best-selling author of the burnout solution that's a whole other conversation but is there any other courses you want to tell us about well, I am actually working on coming September a, a six weeks over curious support course. So again, Brilliant. very similar to the one that I've done before in that it is learning and sharing. It's not, it's about having a bit of crack. It's about people allowing people to go, oh, how does, you know, for some people who might be a bit further down the road, other people who are curious and have never done it to have that learning and sharing and, and say, you know, well, this is what, what it was like for me. So that will be coming up on my website in the next few weeks. Fabulous. So SiobhanMurray.com um, and all of your uh, Twitter handlers are at, at Twisting the Jar. Twisting the Jar. So website is TwistingTheJar.com and all social media is Twisting the Jar. I'll start that again, actually. I thought, for God's sake, I just said SiobhanMurray.com. I just made that up. I know it's not Twisting the Jar. Okay. So, sorry, Kieran. So just make sure you just delete that bit. Um. So we can find your website is twistingthejar.com and also on Twitter at twistingthejar and Instagram at twistingthejar. You're brilliant at Instagram and Twitter, actually, Siobhan, I have to say. Oh, I You're do always love on it. Yeah, no, I do love a bit of Twitter. Twitter, I think, is fascinating. I do not very mean people on it. I'm on it as well, but I stay away from all the meanness. I don't, I don't uh, like, get into it. Well, <laughs> I, what I find fascinating is that there's such, there, between Twitter and Instagram, Instagram, I see as being like this 
curated magazines from all yeah. around the world because there's just so many beautiful, you know, interiors, psychology. It, it's fabulous. Twitter is like people just stripping the plasters off. It's yeah. really gritty, gritty. It's like, okay. <laughs> but uh, really, really interesting conversations. And, you know, even, even for those that are sober curious, put in sober curious hashtag yeah. into any, any social media um, platform and you will start to see so much information. So so much. and just finally Siobhan so we don't get our high say off the well it was never really a high drinks because you know it's quite it's depressant but um the natural highs I'm loving this whole I'd love to go to one of these dance parties these sober dance parties is there anything else uh you mentioned breath work before that people who are interested in being sober curious can do to get that sort of buzz again because that's the fear as well people give up drinking because they've always associated a buzz with drink and um, but we all know that you know one too many is you know can lead to not a great buzz but what other other um sort of ulterior activities would you suggest i mean i'm mad for the fitness as are you but you see and i think that's a fit movement we need to i suppose even getting away from the term fitness because people go jesus you know i don't like the gym i don't like running i don't like yeah no you don't have to but it's about getting into movement it's about moving your body it's about whether what that can be going for a walk it can be doing crossfit it can be pilates it can be literally just shaking your body in your kitchen it doesn't really matter mm. but we have to be moving our bodies if we are able-bodied we have to be moving our bodies our bodies need to we're not meant to sit my friend does 10 minutes of mad dancing to mad music every morning and she's ripped she just does her own one you know but that's and what about what were you saying, Siobhan? But that's the thing is that it doesn't have to be, you know, whatever is the latest trend or, you know, if you're not lifting weights or if you're not running marathons or you're not doing triathlons, then you're not, you know, you're not in the gang. It's very individual what we do. And it's, but it is about that movement. I'm really passionate about that. And breath work, I, I'd love to start getting into that with you. What is that about? I mean, I've done med meditative breathing before, but you do this box breathing and all this mad stuff. Well, box breathing is probably, I do it in the car. Um, I will do it when I need to have an interaction with one of my teenagers. Um, <laughs> they are probably the times where, because I, if you think about it, if we do high energy movement, whatever that is that's actually putting more pressure that's on our cortisol levels that's we're turning the dial up sometimes what we need to do is turn the dial down so it's not about releasing energy it's about actually calming ourselves down so box breathing is really simple if you imagine that visual of a box and you can do this while you're sitting in the car at the traffic lights don't close your eyes you can do this uh while you're i was just closing my eyes there <laughs> No closing of the eyes at the traffic lights. And um, you breathe in for four from your belly, not your chest. Hold for four. Slowly breathe out for four. Hold for four when you've completely let go of all the air. And then breathe in for four and repeat. So it's. Oh, I just did that there and I feel great. It, what you're doing is you're regulating your breathing, your heart rate, 
you're reducing your cortisol levels and your stress levels. So I, I will always say this to one, it doesn't make the crap go away. It just makes your ability to deal with the crap that bit better. And that box breathing is cheaper than a glass of Chardonnay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Siobhan Murray at twistingthejar.com at twistingthejar on all social media channels. It's been a pleasure chatting to you, hon, and enjoy Spain. Thanks so much, darling. Thank you so much to Siobhan Murray there. If you love the podcast, don't forget to subscribe to Opening Up wherever you get your pods.